All right, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, it's been a little while, super busy uh, outdoor track season. Uh, I'm sure all of you coaches out there are super busy and athletes too. Uh, it's a super, super uh, crazy time of year, uh, but also fun. Um, for anybody who does follow our social media, if, if you enjoy the podcast, you should follow our Instagram. It's the real Apex Vaulting. Uh, and we're also Apex Vaulting on Twitter and Facebook. And again, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, or you can listen to our YouTube channel, Apex Vaulting. Uh, If you do enjoy it, please subscribe, leave a comment, and share it with a friend that you think will also enjoy this uh, pole vaulting podcast. Um, That being said, if you do follow our Instagram, you'll see it's like PRs left and right, a lot of of, uh, new novice uh, athletes going to meets. it, it really is like kind of back into full swing at this point, um, which is super awesome. Uh, and hence why we haven't had a podcast episode. Uh, but I wanted to take this time during this uh, more day weekend to do a couple podcast episodes for you guys. Uh, this one, I want to talk about uh, a tweet that I posted. I also reposted on Instagram. And I asked if you have one more practice left before a big meet, right? We're all entering championship time of year. Um, What do you do at that practice? Do you work on something technical or do you just try to get on a bigger pole? Um, So, you know, I got some interesting responses to this question and look, like we've all been there. Um, I've, I'll even, as we go through some of these questions or uh, comments on what other people would want to do, I'll tell you about some mistakes that I definitely made in the past. Um, so one person said, um, assuming one practice means the day before, then neither in my mind. It's too late to add neurological stress and not enough time to recover from the physical stress. Instead, reaffirm the good, especially recent deficiencies, and go into the meat recovered and relaxed. Um, so one, I didn't mean the day before. I and And the reason I bring up this comment is because like, it's actually something that's a pet peeve of mine, right? Um, definitely the day before you vault shouldn't be jumping, right? If, if you're going to state championship, if you're going to conferences, if you're going to nationals, it's the day before you compete. Um, yeah, you, you, you should not be pole vaulting, all right? Um, and th- this is a great uh, time for, for a story. And it's actually not something that I did, but something that I witnessed and had a conversation with coach. Um, when I would go to division three nationals, usually we'd get there a day before, you know, so we're traveling, we're on a plane, whatever. Um, we'd always end up going to the track and I would just have my athletes like do a warm up lap, maybe some skips a little bit, a pole run or two. And, and that's it. We, when we just shut it down, I just want to get some blood flow in them, you know, get them like feeling a little bit fresher than when they got off the plane. Um, and we shut it down and we, ready to compete the next day. Um, at that point of the season, you should have put all your work in and literally the day before the meet, I don't want to do anything to get these, these athletes tired. The thing is, this is what happens every year. A lot of people are jumping from full approach. To me, it was crazy, but I'm, I'm literally at division three nationals, Right. And it's the day before finals. Men and women are jumping tomorrow. There are people jumping from full approach. There are some people jumping at crossbars. 
there's all kinds of crazy going on. And I, I don't know why, right? To me, again, in agreement with, with this response on, on Twitter, it's the day before, man. I, I don't want to put any physical stress on you. I definitely don't want to uh, fry your CNS. Um, we, we did everything. We could qualify for this meet. Let's, let's get ready to compete. But yet the day before finals, there are people doing full approach. Some people are even jumping at crossbar. So one year there was a coach, you know, he kind of came up to me after, after the meet and, you know, friendly with this guy, known each other for a few years. And he was kind of bummed out at how his athlete did. And I had noticed they were doing some full approach stuff the day before the meet. And this athlete looked pretty good the day before. So, you know, the coach was pretty bummed out. And he's like, man, I, I, I don't know what happened. You know, the athlete just didn't compete that well. And I, I said, you know, do, do you mind me asking you a question? And he goes, yeah, man, what's up? I'm like, I, I'm just wondering, like, the rest of the season – do you guys ever jump the day before a meet? He's like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would we do that? I said, okay, why did you do it yesterday? And this coach had that look like that mind blown look. He's like, oh man. And, and here's the thing that I want to discuss. Cause even going back earlier in my career, there was one time I, I was coaching a girl she just happened to be the first 12 foot girl in the County at the time. And, you know, we're getting ready for the state championship. It's the week of, and her head coach came over and he's like, Hey, you know, Bronco, like, you know, what, what are you doing with her? Like, what are you doing to get ready for me to champs? And I said, well, you know, uh, on, and the meet was on Thursday. I was like, well, Monday, you know, we did some short stuff. Like we kept it three lefts or under technical stuff. Uh, maybe tomorrow we'll just do some, some light warm up drills, rest on Wednesday. And then and, and we're going to the meet, you know? And he's like, man, that's, that's good. That's what you should do. That's what you should do. He goes, but I gotta be honest, Bronco. When I have people qualify, it doesn't matter the event. Let's say it's sprinters. I can't help it. I, I gotta see them come out of the blocks. I, I, I gotta see them run a little bit. I, I just can't go to the meet without them doing stuff. And it kind of hit me in that moment, you know, and I have a lot of respect for this coach, by the way, that, that spoke to me, just like I have a lot of respect for, for the coach that was talking to me at division three nationals. I get it as a coach, forget about the athletes right now, as a coach, you have anxiety going into these big meets, you know, you want everything to go well, you know, you've trained for maybe several years with this athlete at this point, you finally made it to this big day where they should do well. Let, you know, I, I'm talking about when, when you're going to nationals, obviously in division three, division two or division one, you're trying to be all American. And, and depending on where your athlete sits, you, you may be trying to win the national title. And you put these years in, if it's a high school athlete, right? It's like, you've been coaching them since freshman year. They might be junior, senior, and they're finally in that position that they could be, you know, medal at States and uh, maybe win it. And you want everything to go well. You know, you don't want anything to get messed up. And I think sometimes as coaches, because we have that anxiety in us, we make athletes do silly things at practice 
to lower our anxiety, right? It's like, well, you know, if I could just see them do one more full approach, or if I could just see them get on this, I just, I want to make sure they can get on this pole. We get on this pole, we're good. The problem is, going back to this tweet, like I said, if it's the day before, you're doing more harm than good. I, I, I mean, I just, at that point, you put in the work, let the athlete rest. And if you have anxiety as a coach, I don't know, don't take it out on your athlete. You know, you got to figure out some way to calm your nerves without putting your athlete through a full approach or trying to get them out a big pole the day before. I mean, crazy, man. I, I, I've even heard stories of coaches where they were at like a state meet or something like that. And the athlete didn't jump as well as they could have. And they're like, man, well, I mean, they, they cleared a PR like three times in practice yesterday. What? They don't give medals out for practice guys. No medals are given out to practice. Um, nobody's going to make the hall of fame of practice. Uh, nobody, nobody's going to get anything out of clearing a PR and practice the day before their state title, national title conference meet. So, you know, as coaches, I think sometimes we have to remember that, sure, I, we have nerves too, but we can't let that impact our choices. Again, going back to the example of Division Three Nationals, I, I would venture to argue that 90% of the coaches that go to Division Three Nationals, their athletes do not jump the day before the meet. Now, maybe, maybe, I'm sure there's people out there like, Bob Bronco, we're at Nationals, we want to test out the runway, we got to test out the... Do you do that when you travel at, at these other meets? No. No, you just show up and, and you figure it out in warm-ups. Same can be said here. So I, I think sometimes, you know, you, you got to really avoid you know, getting so anxious as a coach that you do things that are out, out of character for the way that you schedule practices, the way you structure practices, and, and just your methodology overall. Don't let your anxiety of a big meet change the way that you do things. Keep it, keep it going, especially if your athlete's having a good year, they're doing well, don't make big changes now. Don't make big changes now to the way you do things, okay? Now, let's go back to this Twitter post. I have, I have a couple other ones that I, I really like. Um, okay. Someone put... Now, this is interesting. Someone put... Uh, I just concentrate on getting the step as close to on as possible and getting loose and relaxed. Usually keep them to six total jumps, three short, three full. I think that's an interesting comment. Now, I, again, now we're not talking about the day before. This is your last practice before the state meet. So let's say, or, or nationals or, or conference, let's say this meets on a Saturday, you're practicing Monday. So we got plenty of days. You have a lot of options here, right? You have more than 72 hours of recovery. You don't have to worry about frying the CNS. Um, you have a lot of possibilities for what you want to do. Um, this coach is choosing, let's get that step on. Here's the thing. I think too many people think about pole vault in a very, very static way, right? Like, I was having a conversation with someone about mid marks, for example. I don't know if everybody listening uses mid marks, 
Um, for those of you that don't know what a mid-market is, it's, you know, so many people do different things. There's two left mids, three left mid, four left mid, right? Um, we use four left mid. We go off of DJ's chart roughly. Our, our mids are further out than DJ's. Um, but, you know, it's a mark somewhere in the middle of the run that you're catching to double check and, and make sure that the athlete's run is on. And someone was asking me, they were going to a meet to coach and like, hey, Bronco, uh, you know, what's so-and-so's mid mark? And it's funny, like earlier in my career, let's out, you know, I'd be very specific. I'd be like, well, Johnny's got to hit 45. He's got to hit 45. As the years go on, it's like, well, even the mid, I don't, I don't really like giving a hard number for a mid mark. Reason being is these numbers are not static. They're highly dependent on the athlete's development, what time of year, um, the day, you know, did they get good sleep the night before? Are the conditions optimal? Uh, what's the runway like? Is it a fast runway, a slow runway? That mid can change and it could change within a competition. So what I usually do now, you know, I might phrase it like this. I say, well, I think you should put a mid down for Johnny at 44 and 47, let's say. So you got about three feet there, right? And then obviously you can see if they're inside of 44, outside of 47. And I go, put those two marks down and watch. If they hit a certain number, let's say Johnny does come down, hits 45, looks good, jumps up, not getting ripped off the ground. Great. Maybe 45 works that day. If they hit 45 and they're chopping it up and they're real tight at takeoff, right? And you got to watch the strides. Then you might have to bump the back. If they hit 45 and they're over striding to get to takeoff, well, now you know they're too far out. You might have to bump them in. You might have to move them in. In this example, what, what I'm explaining is that's literally going to happen every single time the athlete jumps. Anytime they're doing an approach where you're going to catch a mid or you're trying to get their step on, right? This will change from attempt to attempt, never mind day to day. So if you go into a practice and this is the last practice before states or conference or nationals, you know, well, we just want to figure out where that step should be. Well, that step is going to change. What if they're slower the day of the meet? What if they're faster? Now, me and this uh, uh, coach went back and forth a little bit on Twitter. And when he was like, well, we just we want a rough idea of a starting point, a starting point. That's fair too. I like that. Okay. That's better, right? Like you just want to know where to start at the meet. Here's my thing. Where did you start the practice? Where was the step in practice? You already knew what the starting point was, right? Let, let's say just as an example, just as an example. Um, I know one of my athletes, she's an 11, one vaulter. She's senior. Um, I mean, we know she's going to start with like 11-3 grip, 13-20 for her first six left approach, and she's roughly running from 71. She's going to do that. She's going to come down, run down. I'm going to catch the mid, watch the takeoff, and then we go from there. We don't need to do that at practice. We don't need to do that at practice. Um, so just – 
you know, again, thinking about this, I, I don't think people should base their decisions for a meet from what happened in practice. I mean, I've, I've even heard someone say, well, you know, we got to figure out where the standards need to be. Maybe, you know, and, and sure, I think, I would think for, I don't know, probably 70% of the people in the club, like you kind of know where to start the standards for a person. Like, you know, this person needs them a little closer. This need, this person needs them a little further back. But even that, depending on the day and how they're moving on the runway, how they're moving the pole, uh, what they're doing with their swing and turn, that's going to be adjusted, you know? Um, so trying to, let's say, figure out in a practice session, be like, well, we got to figure out where the standards need to be so we could PR. I don't know about that. I think also what coaches need to be careful of, just so far, the things that I've discussed is a little bit of confirmation bias, right? I think we all know what confirmation bias is, right? It's like, let's say you're running late to work, you know, and you hit a red light. You're like, oh, this always happens to me. I always get all the red lights when I'm running late. No, you only remember the red lights because you actually end up late because of that. When you, those times you got green lights and made it to work on time, despite a late start, you don't remember that. So same thing with this. You may sometimes address your athletes and be like, well, this is how Johnny won states. Okay, well, how many times have you had this structure or gone through this process and it didn't work out? So what really works, what really doesn't? Don't justify a process if it's only worked, you know, for one person, 10% of the time, right? You, you want more proficiency than that, right? So again, try to avoid having a practice because you're trying to figure out the numbers for the meet. Even going back to the day before, like the, the division three example, you know, I think a lot of those people were jumping the day before because they're like, oh, where should my mark be on this runway? You know, how are they moving the pole on this runway? Where should the standards be? It's like, that's going to change tomorrow, depending on how they feel. And they're probably going to feel a little tired. So now we've done that too. Because just as, as an idea too, think about the pole vault this way. Step, grip, pole stiffness, standards. These are all variables that the better the athlete feels, the further the standards go, the further the step goes, the higher the grip goes, the stiffer the pole gets. So all these things are constantly going to be changing. We want them to continually improve, right? Um, so there were people, again, the original tweet, you know, you have one practice left before your major championship meet. What do you do? Do you try to get on a big pole or do you go technical? Well, there were the people that were like, hey, we got to get on a big pole. We got to try to get on a big pole. Going back to what I'm just explaining, perfect segue, the problem with that methodology is, okay, one, just, just as an example, let's say I'm the athlete and I'm jumping and it's like, all right, Bronco, we got to get you on the 14,775. We have to. So... Let's say, you know, we do a two, three hour practice session. I finally, after getting stood up, running through, whatever, I get on that 14.775. Great. Great. You may say as a coach, well, now Bronco has the confidence to use the 14.775 at the meet. Maybe. I would also say that, well, now I'm like, wow, I needed a lot of reps to get on this pole. 
I might have some, some negative thoughts about even trying to get on this poll. Now we're at the meet. Now I'm going to give you the worst case scenario. Let's say I come down, I hit the 14,775, and we're finally at a bar where this is where things are going to shake out. This is where the places are going to be figured out. Maybe a, the champion, right? I come down, hit that 14,775, and I blow through. Now what do we do? We didn't practice on the 80. We didn't try the 80. Do we not go on the 80? But also, mind you, what's my experience? Well, anytime I go up a pole that I've never been on, what happens? I might have to test it out. I might have to just, you know, just take it up and not swing. I might run through. I might get rejected. This is a negative feedback loop. What I would suggest, just like how I explained the mid marks, how, how to adjust the mid or how to adjust the step, I think you should use whatever pole and grip works for that day where the athlete is landing safely into the pit, putting up good jumps. That way, the feedback loop that you've created for the athlete is every time I vault, I take it up. Every time I vault, I can swing. Every time I vault with this grip or that grip or this pole or that pole, I can do a full jump. I can complete the jump. And if I move the pole really well, what do we do? We go up a pole and I get on that pole again. Like that, that's fine too. It's always a smooth transition. That way when we're at the meet and now I'm competing, now I have adrenaline. Hopefully I've slept well. Hopefully you didn't make me jump the day before. Now, when I blow through the biggest pole I've ever been on, I don't question the fact that we're going up a pole because this is just normal procedure. This is what we do. Um, so I, I think that's, that's really, really important. And this is why, again, I would highly advise to avoid trying to just get on a big pole before your big meet. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the way to look at it. Even I'll go a little further. Let's say, I don't know, you're world-class and you felt, okay, if I get on this pole, I break the world record or I'm going to place top three in the world or whatever the case may be. Fine, fine. Maybe, maybe that's the process for you. But I think unless you're dealing with an athlete that is going to break some kind of record or win some amazing me or something, you're dealing with an athlete that is progressing. They're getting better. They're improving. So building practices around the idea of like, we need to get on this pole, it's kind of bad practice. Unless you're at that level, we should not be having practices based around like, let's try to get on a pole. It should be more about the jump, um, the technique. Um, and, and I'll give you a great example um, from earlier in my coaching career. I remember one time, um, Craig Van Leeuwen, uh, he was Division Three national champ. But prior to that, uh, you know, a few years before that, he had jumped 17.5 for the first time. It was the first time he actually broke seven. He broke 17 feet, and he ended up also jumping 17.5 that day. And amazing day. He was on a five meter 16.5, uh, 195. I don't quite remember the grip. I, I want to say it was 15.9 or 16. I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, he jumped on that pole. He cleared that bar. It was amazing. And Craig and I both were like, dude. We just need to go to the next pole. If we can get on the 16.5, 200, 
you jump 18. No problem. And so for the next year, that was kind of the process. I mean, we had our short run days, we had technical days, but whenever we we're going big, we're trying to get on bigger pole, trying to get on bigger pole, trying to get on bigger pole. Anytime we went to meets, we're trying to get on that 200, we're trying to get on that 200. Well, fast forward a year, we're in Reno and we're jumping in Reno and he gets on the 200. Super exciting, super exciting, except he jumped 16.9. 17.5, we just need to get on the 200. We jump 18, we jump 16.9. And I remember standing in Reno that year and like watching this unfold. And I'm just like, what are we missing? Something's wrong. We thought, you know, and especially at the time, you guys have to understand like the climate back then. Back then, it was like sometimes 18 was winning D1 nationals. Uh, nobody even knew who Mondo was at that time. You know, it wasn't like crazy like it is now. Um, the heights are amazing. So 18 was a big deal. And we were just like, we just need to get on the next ball. We'll jump 18. Like, this is going to be awesome. And I'm standing there in Reno and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, we did it. We did it, right? Like we got in the 200 and we didn't even jump 17 feet. And I, and I think this is sometimes the problem with the process of just trying to get on the next grip, just trying to get on the next pole. Because the thing is, you might not be watching for the technical breakdowns that are happening with the rest of the jump, just trying to get on the next pole. You know, are you forcing that grip into the pit? Are you forcing that pull into the pit? Are you slowing down your swing in the process? Because if so, now, now you're going to negate your push-off, right? Because, you know, again, and I know some people don't like to talk about push-off. My, you know, my thought on why people don't like to talk about push-off is often they don't know how to manipulate push-off. Uh, but you know, you have your grip and you have your push up. How high can you grip? How much above your grip can you jump? Well, if you start to notice that you're going to grip and pull and that push off is starting to go down, that's a bad, bad sign. Something's going wrong. You're forcing that grip and pull into the pit. So you have to kind of look at that and then start to break down. Like, what are we messing up? Is the takeoff is the swing? Is it, is it the turn, the push up? Like what, what segment of the jump is starting? Are we starting to sacrifice now just to get a little bit more pull into the pit? You know, you have to look at this. So anyway, I mean, obviously we, you know, eventually, um, down the road, we kind of regrouped, um, also like, you know, we're fast forwarding now several years. Um, I ended up being introduced to Roman Pacharnikov. I, I coached the way I do now where we're always looking at pole speed and swing speed. And is the swing speed matching the pole speed? And Craig would eventually actually on a smaller pole. He was on a 16, 200. So that's a, a 16, uh, the equivalent would be a 16, five, one ninety. um, gripping 15, nine, he would jump 17, eight and a half. And he had a really good attempt at 18. Um, but again, it's like, you, you have to look at the whole picture. If you start just, you know, kind of zeroing in on that one variable, like we got to get on this pole, you might be missing some of the, the rest of the picture. And that kind of lends itself to the answer that I would give to my tweet. You know, what do you do with that last practice before you go to the championship meet is work on something technical, work on something technical. And, 
And to give credit to somebody, somebody was like, well, I, I wouldn't want to change anything too much. And I totally agree. I, I, I think you obviously, you want to look at what technical thing that this person uh, can Im- continue to improve on that you've already established as something that you're working on to get a little bit of a marginal gain going into that last meet. You don't want to all of a sudden completely overhaul someone's run or completely overhaul their carrier plant. You know, you, you want to make these minor changes that will be helpful on the day of that might get you to just move a little bit more pull into the pit, might get you a little bit more push off, right? How, you know, how are you going to increase those variables? And I think a technical day is great because again, one, I I don't even think you're going to get on a big pole in practice. I mean, it is, it is super uncommon at apex. Like most of our athletes are jumping on anywhere between 10 to 20 pounds stiffer pole at the meet with three to nine inches more grip. This is just what happens. And the thing is like, when we do that adjustment at the meet, it's not like our, our athletes are running through or getting stood up. It's just, this is the normal progression. This is how it works. Um, so I, I definitely recommend, you know, doing something technical, you know, cause they, again, I I've been there. I just gave you a story, um, with one of my former athletes where it's like, you know, we thought just, we just got to get on that next pole. We just got to get on that next pole. And, and again, it, it didn't work out for us because we started to ignore some of the other parts of the jump. I think, I think you got to look at the whole picture at all times and going into that final me or, or the championship meets of the season, you want to focus on those little technical things that might ha- might yield some results for you at the meet. You know, if, if your kid uh, uh, can finally, you know, connect the swing and turn, make that a little bit smooth, they might get a little bit more push off. If they can finally, you know, like you've been working on the takeoff, they can finally like jump up a little bit better. They might move a little bit more pole into the uh, pit. You know, these are the things that are going to help you going into that meet. Just having a big day and trying to get on a big pole, I don't know about that. And I'm going to give you the flip side. What happens if you don't get on that big pole at the practice? How does that athlete feel going into the meet? Not too good. Not too good. Um, so, again, the, the, those are the reasons why, you know, as a coach, I would avoid some of that stuff. Like, I would avoid having, you know, a long run day just trying to get on some poles. I think picking out the few technical things that you've probably already been working on and trying to continue to address those and help your athlete improve. I think that's where you're going to see the biggest bang uh, for your buck uh, and, and get the most return going into the meet. Um, Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you've enjoyed that podcast. Um, I, I hope you know, everybody has great luck going into those championship meets at this time of year. Uh, again, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Apex Vaulting, or you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And please share the podcast with, with your friends. Uh, this is, has been episode 110. Um, and remember, follow us on Instagram, The Real Apex Vaulting, or you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. It's just Apex Vaulting. Thank you for listening.